Game three of the NBA Finals tonight. Golden State rocked by injuries. Who's in? Who's out? And the Pelicans are starting to listen to offers for Anthony Davis. Let the trade rumors commence. And the Lakers are making new hires to their coaching staff. Is it a good idea with their strategy? We're going to talk about it here. It's the Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody. It is Wednesday Locked On NBA. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, downloading this, uh, us on the new Himalaya podcast app. Go ahead and download that new Himalaya podcast app. It is free, super easy to use, has every single Locked On podcast and other podcasts that you love, and they have personally curated playlists made just for you by the expert podcast tastemakers at Himalaya. As always, I am your Wednesday host, John Corrales, co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. Lakers talk coming up today. They can't stay out of the spotlight. Anthony Davis talk coming up today. Of course, we can't do a show together without some kind of Anthony Davis thing. <laughs> nope, we got we got to shoehorn that in. But at least this is more natural this week. That's right. That's right. And then a finals preview coming up after we thank our sponsors for the week. Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. And Grip 6 Belts. Ultralight with no holes, no flap, and it is a great Father's Day gift. Go to Grip6.com. That's number six. Grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E, for a special offer. Jake, tonight it's Warriors back home for their really could be, could be their final two games at Oracle Arena. Uh, ever. That's it. They're moving across to a new arena next season. And if they are able to take care of business, they have the potential to close this thing out in Toronto. But we know, still know Kevin Durant. Calf injury still holding him back. Uh, and uh, Steve Kerr saying that you have to be careful about bringing him back and getting him hurt again. He says the same thing about uh, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson with the the hamstring injury says he wants to play, he feels like he's going to play, it's going to be a game-time decision, but he doesn't see himself not playing. Again, the team's like, well, maybe you'll have to sit a game so you can make sure you play the rest of the series. So let's start with the obvious question, Jake, and I'll pose it to you. Can the Warriors beat the Raptors in a full game without Clay and without Kevin Durant? So I'm less worried about Durant in this since he hasn't played, you know, this series so far. And, like, clearly they can win without Kevin Durant as they did in game two. Clay Thompson's a huge concern in this. Like, if I'm them, you want him to play, but also you don't want him to get hurt because you need him going forward. It's still tied 1-1, so if he sits a game, it's probably okay. You know, a lot's been made about that box and one that the Raptors ran at the end of that game that really seemed to work for for a good bit against the Golden State Warriors. And it took really um, Iguodala hitting threes because they were leaving him wide open. Steph Curry said it was disrespectful, but it's a way to beat that team. If he doesn't get hot, maybe they don't win that. So I think this is a big concern if you're them. You know, he if he's not hitting threes or making you pay for that box and one, it worked. Look at what Steph Curry did in the fourth quarter of that game. You know, he didn't make a shot. 
He had zero points in the fourth against uh, the Toronto Raptors in game two. You know, the Warriors scored 11 total points over the final eight minutes of that game. Clearly, the defense worked. And if you don't have uh, Clay Thompson to make you pay, yeah, I could see them rolling that out again. And it may be being effective over, you know, the 48 minutes or so. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I've seen a lot of people push back on the box on box and one, um, which the, people are calling it a gimmick and high school off uh, defense, which I get. It worked. It worked. But I also think that there's a reason why it worked because no one in their right mind was expecting a, a box on one defense. And it's very easy to get discombobulated when another team throws something at you that you completely didn't expect, completely didn't prepare for. Uh, even if you call a timeout and say, do this, do that, like it's still jarring. Even if it's simple, even if it is a middle school defense, as some people call it. However, if they do throw that out there again, I think that there are some very simple ways that you can, you can shut that down. I mean, you can just, first of all, use Steph as a screener and pop other guys open and just get really just put a bunch of shooters out there and, and just let them get open and shoot over the top of the, of that zone. Uh, you can also start Steph Curry off the ball, start him low on the baseline. You can set a couple of screens for him. And if only one guy is going to be chasing him man to man, there's no other guy that's going to switch. There's no other guy that's going to hedge. It's just if a guy's guarding a zone and one guy is chasing Steph Curry, you just run him off of a couple of baseline picks and then he'll he'll be wide, wide, wide open. So I, I think that was a good gimmick that worked. Credit to them for thinking of it on the fly like that because it only worked because Clay Thompson was out. I think they're going to go to a little bit more traditional type of thing. Maybe they throw the box on one every so often. Mix it in. But so, so that's the key, though. We've seen that, you know, again, when you kind of run one of these non-man-to-man defenses, it only works in, like, short spurts. So it's, like, you know, maybe optimistic, I'm feeling, for them that, you know, Clay Thompson being out kind of throws a wrench in their offense. You're right. You know, you can't run that the whole game. You can only do it in short bits when you hope to catch them off guard. It goes back to what we saw years ago now between the Heat and the Mavs in, what was the 2010 finals, where they threw zone at them, and the Heat had no idea. But they would do that on a possession, then leave it, then a couple, you know, possessions later, throw it out there again. Yep. You can't do it for 48 minutes. It doesn't work. And NBA offenses, particularly this one, you know, especially the Warriors, are pretty good and can figure this out, I think. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. Like I said, they, they probably will toss it at the Warriors here and there. Uh, I think for the Warriors, there are a couple of things that still play in the Warriors' favor. Uh, and, and guys mentioned this yesterday on the Lockdown NBA podcast, too, but uh, Kawhi not being 100% hurts. They're, they are not, I don't think they're able to get everything that Kawhi Leonard gave them in earlier rounds. And he's not in full takeover mode like he was in, in prior rounds. If he was, they would have won game two. There were many, many opportunities for the Raptors in game two. Uh, I think they're, having Draymond still there as a facilitator is very, very important. And you could just simply run some Draymond Curry pick and rolls and just use that over and over again. And if it, Curry will get blitzed and Draymond will get the ball and you'll have to react to Draymond and he will 
he will be the facilitator. I think if, if Draymond Green can get another 10 assists, the Warriors can win this game because as we've said multiple times and everybody says, Jake, role players play better at home, which means Quinn Cook, which means other guys are going to step up. The thing that really low key hurts them a lot, maybe I don't want to say more, but almost as much as Clay is Kevon Looney being out. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, a big that's, deal. that's big. So you're, you're going to, you're asking now, uh, a lot of uh, Boogie to go in there and play a, a bunch. And now you're asking a lot of Andrew Bogut to come in and give you 15 minutes, maybe more. That's asking a lot of those guys. Yeah, that's definitely a big concern. You know, Cousins looked pretty good the other night in that kind of surprise start. Bogut, you know, in, in his minutes does well enough. But, yeah, that's kind of the big thing. Can you get, like, a full game out of those guys now? Because Bogut is going to play about 15 in this. DeMarcus Cousins probably jumps up to maybe about 33 minutes or so. That's a that's a big load for him. Like, yeah, it's only an increase of about, you know, anywhere from, like, five to eight minutes. But when you, when you haven't played most of the year, you're still kind of rounding back into form and everything. Like, yeah, that's – like you said, you kind of groan. Like, that's a lot. We also know Cousins has a bit of a prop- propensity to turn the ball over a lot. I saw it for a season and a half, like at an extreme amount at times that can derail that offense entirely. We saw what happened when they turned the ball over a lot and uncharacteristically for this Golden State Warriors team in game one, they kind of got run out a little bit. So it's, it's a big concern and that's how Toronto, despite missing kind of all those open looks and good shots can get some easy points in this by living off turnovers. If the opportunity presents themselves, I think Toronto from the Toronto side of this, I mean, it's very simple to me. You got to get something from Kyle Lowry. You, that's that's the guy. If if Kawhi is going to get that level of defense, that level of attention, and he's not a hundred percent, Lowry has to be the guy. Siakam had an amazing game one, not as much in game two. He's still as much as he is a, an athletic freak, and and as much as he might have an advantage over a depleted Warriors team. Still being in that atmosphere, still with that team defense, there's still, I don't trust him implicitly to go out there and have another big game. It's Lowry that needs to hit those shots, and it's also Lowry that needs to stop fouling like crazy. That means 11 fouls over two games. That's, that's, I, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to lose the word. To foul out with three minutes left is inexcusable for a guy like Lowry. It was funny because I was going to ask you, I was going to say, we got to take a look at Toronto and like, what do they need to do other than Lowry needing to play better? And you kind of just answered all of that. It's, it's just, he needs to play better. I, it, I mean, that's the first thing. That's 100% number one, what you need out of him because I trust Fred Van Vliet. I don't know if I trust anyone else. Also, the credit to this Raptors team, especially in game one for being really poised and composed out there in the biggest game of like the country's NBA history. It's going to be very different when you're on the road. You've been at home. You've kind of eased your way into this, but now it's going to kind of be a bit jarring, I think, going into Oracle and what might be some of the final games there. Like you said, there's a, there's a chance, and that place is going to be bumping. Also, Fred Van Vliet needs to, like, 100% plan a date night with his wife in, like, three months so that when the playoffs start next year, maybe he's got another kid coming because that dude has just been, <laughs> like, lights out right now. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, you got to look everything that you need to do to win. It's just everybody needs to pitch in. Everybody needs to do their part. Um, I, I trust Van Vliet less than you do. Um, I don't know that he's going to step up in that moment, which is why I place so much emphasis on Lowry. If, if Lowry isn't going to be the guy, I just don't trust all of these other guys to, to put forth the type of performance to put Toronto over the top. They might do well enough and they, they might have their moments, but it boils down to Lowry playing and not just scoring, like he needs to score, he needs to hit shots, but he needs to be smart on the floor and he needs to just stay on the floor. And the fact that he's not on the floor, the fact that he wasn't on the floor for the last few minutes, again, I find inexcusable. Uh, you got to take the pressure off of Kawhi. He, and if, if you make the Warriors just think for a second about doubling Kawhi, if you hesitate just a second, that's all Kawhi needs to slip between that double and, and get a chance to score. Like if no one else is stepping up, it's not just them scoring points. It's sucking a defender over just an extra step, a half step. It's the difference between Kawhi getting doubled and giving the ball up and Kawhi getting through, drawing more fouls, getting to the line again, or, or at least getting through for a, an open mid-range jumper. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's kind of as, as simple as that. Like, they, you know, I, I so their role players also have kind of been boom or bust in the playoffs. And on the road, a lot of the time it's bust, and that's kind of how it goes. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come out in this one. And, it, you know, the first quarters I think is going to be a little disjointed as these teams settle in. But this should be at least a fun game. I'm already enjoying series overall. It's, it's a rock fight. It's, it could be <laughs> – could be a war of attrition. It'd be just a last man standing. It'd just be one person standing in the middle at center court when the buzzer goes off. But uh, so, so if Clay plays, you feel pretty good about Golden Warriors. State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, even, not even, even if he's limited, time. even if he's limited, the threat of him just creates space and lanes, and he'll be yeah. less effective, but effective enough. Yeah, I mean, this is the dude we've seen go off, or was it like 10 threes in a playoff game last yeah. season? So, like, yeah, you know, if he's out there, there's a huge impact. And then, like, this kind of whole preview goes out the window because, like, yeah, I expect then the Warriors to kind of roll a little bit. Yeah, I would say so. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Anthony Davis trade rumors are starting up. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Locked On NBA podcast. wasn't that long ago, maybe about a week or so, that the Pelicans were trying to convince Anthony Davis to stay. It makes sense. You want to pair Anthony Davis with Zion Williamson. You got the number one overall pick. You add him to that mix. Drew Holiday, we know what's, we know that situation. However, it seems as if Anthony Davis is not backing off his trade request. And the Pelicans, as it was reported today by Shams Sharania of The Athletic and whatever other thing he writes for, uh, said that the Pelicans now are starting to listen to trade offers. They're listening. 
So, Jake, you are the local expert. You're the Pelicans guy. What exactly does this mean? Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of laugh that this is news. Like, we knew he was going to still kind of stick to the trade demand after their their meeting didn't go anywhere last week. So this is no surprise. Obviously, he was going to start listening to trade offers because every day you keep Anthony Davis from here on out, offers potentially can go down. You don't want to get into the season and have him near the trade deadline when people can really lowball you and you just want to get something in return for him. So this is kind of just going according to how it should go. So it's not huge news to me. So I think the teams that have kind of been rumored for Anthony Davis that um, Shams talked about were the Boston Celtics, your Boston Celtics, the New York Knicks, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Brooklyn Nets, and I think maybe the Clippers. I can't remember if they were mentioned in there or not, but they're a team that makes a lot of sense as well. This is exactly what we thought was going to be the case. You knew the Lakers are going to make another run at Anthony Davis. You knew Boston, who's kind of been like having eyes for this dude for a number of years now, and we're talking Talking to the Pelicans and general manager Del Demps at the trade deadline being like, don't trade him. We're going to come in with an offer. Maybe things have changed since then. Who knows? Um, it, all of this just makes sense. You know, I think Boston's probably the front runner. If you had to look for a package in return with the Knicks, Lakers and Nets, like a bit behind them, at least in my opinion on this, um, you know, but these are the teams that are going to make a run at Anthony Davis. These are the teams that really want to land a star player like him and have a realistic shot at it. So yeah, this is is just kind of going to plan if you want some insight onto maybe what we can expect from things we you know david griffin was recently working for nba tv for Sirius radio talking about what he would expect in return for a package uh for anthony davis which was a star guy that could be an all-star or like a borderline all nba guy draft compensation and young role players too that kind of just fit and add you know value to the team all of those teams can make some sort of offer with that i think certain parts of that are better than others and kind of when i evaluate it which i've been doing for months now i think boston kind of wins in the young player department they win in the potential draft compensation department depending on how you view the number three overall pick or the four overall pick compared to that future memphis pick and then role players are there there's marcus smart there's other guys that you can kind of fit in to make the salary work like there's ways you can make do this where it just makes a lot of sense to end up uh with hit seeing him in green well uh this is an you gotta feel really good huh <laughs> uh, yeah, hey well we'll see we'll see exactly how this goes uh we did do a crossover podcast locked on celtics locked on pelicans for those of you who are interested in about a 45 minute conversation between the two of us talking about this trade we are doing a uh a locked on mock draft. It's currently going on behind the scenes. And then once it's done, we're going to do podcasts. We're going to explain how the whole thing went, but spoiler alert, we executed a trade between the Celtics and the Pelicans, you and I, where it was smart. It was Jalen 14th pick Robert Williams and the Memphis pick that if you want to understand why that we think that works, Check out the crossover podcast, Locked On Celtics, Locked On Pelicans, from uh, Monday. That was our Monday show. So that's that's the whole explanation there. So, so that's that's like the deep dive on it. We probably should touch on a few of the things here, I think, to kind of look at right. some of the offers that, like, yeah, exactly. So, you know – you're obviously very biased in in this. So I was going to say, like, what do you think about the third pick in this draft almost being the centerpiece for an Anthony Davis trade, though? So I think what the Knicks have to offer is the, the R.J. Barrett. And this hinges Yeah, on, that, that's the centerpiece. 
piece. Right. So this hinges on a couple of things from the Knicks perspective. And, and in any trade, it's subjective, right? So what I think works is not what you think works. And uh, whoever, you know, you you, the listener may think I'm an idiot, but another listener might think I'm a genius. So actually nobody thinks I'm a genius. Scratch. I was going to say literally all of the Lakers listeners are about to think we're both idiots. Right. I have a feeling right. and we are going to hear about it. But, but it really is a matter of, do you, how much do you value RJ Barrett? Do you think RJ Barrett can become better than Jason Tatum? Ultimately down the line, not Jason Tatum today, Jason Tatum at 27 years old on his second contract. Is he worth that money? Like, or is RJ Barrett going to so far surpass him that you have to take that deal? I think that even if RJ Barrett is a little bit better than, uh, than Tatum. I don't think that he's going to become so significantly better than Tatum that this is such a, a must make deal. Other people will disagree for sure. Uh, and, but he would have to be significantly much more promising because the other players that you get in return from the Knicks are not necessarily going to change your, your life in New Orleans. You make maybe. No. You know, like, I, I just don't see that entire package. So you really, really, really have to value, uh, you have to really value RJ Barrett. The Lakers. So, so you nailed it. That's exactly what it is though, because the Knicks weren't good last year and you can get anyone you want on the Knicks here in New Orleans with that. And they're more or less being included just to make the salary for Anthony Davis work right. because they do want to keep their options open in free agency. I like Barrett. I actually kind of have him rated pretty level with, uh, John Morant out of, uh, Murray State. So I don't. I still just don't like him enough to kind of make that the centerpiece of it. Their future draft picks from Dallas aren't that good. You know, Kevin Knox, who was a, a lottery pick last year, was awful. Had one of the worst rookie years ever last season. Like, I just don't get that excited for that offer. But if you see Barrett as like a James Harden level player, which he might be, yeah, then you do it. But nah, I'm, I'm out on this one. Yeah. And then so you, you have other, like the Lakers. The fourth pick does not have the value of the third pick. Like, I think everybody's in kind of agreement with that. So now you get into the, how highly do you rate Brandon Ingram? I know Lakers fans rate him higher than Jason Tatum. That's fine. That's really highly, by the way. Okay, fine, (laughs) fine. That's whatever. I'm not going to argue that. We're not going to litigate that here. Uh, Are you scared off by the blood clot issue? So actually... So actually, no, like it's a concern. You'd rather have him not have it, certainly, but it's an upper body one. So like, I'm not a doctor. I kind of get this all from what people say that I trust when I hear these things. You know, it sounds like blood clots in your upper body versus your lower body, which is where Chris Bosch had his, are significantly less of a concern. So like, overall, I'm not that worried about it. One, because you know what? He's probably going to fail a physical then or he won't pass a physical if that's a huge issue. So like, I'm not worried about this problem creeping up later down the line. So I'm just not that high on Brandon Ingram, which again means we're going to hear it. So that's kind of the big thing. Like this is a guy who doesn't shoot threes. Julius Randle shot more threes than he did last year. So I think that's a big concern for me with that, that he just kind of, I don't know. I'm, I don't like their platter of players all that much, but I know Lakers fans are really high on this and this is why we're going to be called an idiot. Like I, you know, that deal wasn't good enough to kind of get him over the hump at the deadline when they had the like exclusive negotiating period on that. I don't necessarily 
necessarily know what's going to change unless David Griffin, and like you said, this is very subjective, comes in and is like, oh, I really like those guys. Then they'll get a deal done. There's some people inside the Pelicans who really like that. I can tell you, Alvin Gentry likes some of those guys. He's high on Lonzo Ball. But overall, I think you can just get other things, and that getting the fourth pick instead of three hurts them so much in this draft. It is a huge drop-off from three to four. Yeah, and I think that's where the Memphis pick comes in and makes the Celtics offer really, really good because if the, if the Grizzlies are picking John Morant and if they are trading, uh, Mike Conley, then they're going to be bad for the next couple of years. So next year it's top six protected. So even if you get the seventh pick next year, I mean, we're just talking about the fourth pick this year not being great. The, the seventh pick might be more valuable next year than the fourth pick in this draft. It might be, but even so it's unprotected the year after. And, and the point I've been making about why that's important is, you now have Zion. Yep. In in this scenario, Marcus Smart, uh, Jason Tatum. Tatum will already be on a new contract, theoretically. Uh, Zion will be three years in. The the momentum will be gathering. And at that point, you add a top five pick to that mix. And all of a sudden, you've got four years of a guy who could be adding – value to your team on a rookie contract and it's just kind of the type of thing you need so yeah so the other thing to keep in mind with that that unprotected year is maybe a double draft because the one and done rule might be gone then so you've got to keep in mind that the pool of players that are quality there might be like astronomically high during that time you could end up with 10 in that draft and compared to other years it's like the fifth pick because of the double pool of players that might be in and I will throw this other thing out there that the Brooklyn Nets are suddenly making this, this push. Um, I happen to think this annoys me. <laughs> there are a ton of rumors now. Like all of a sudden the Brooklyn Nets have become like they've pushed themselves into this front and center conversation. I personally believe that all of this is driven exclusively by the Brooklyn Nets because it started with an, an SNY reporter who has no connection to Kyrie, who has no connection to the Celtics, all of a sudden put Brooklyn into this mix. And and now others are starting to amplify this type of this thinking. Fine. If Kyrie if Kyrie Irving is interested in Brooklyn, they're putting that rumor out there. And I think they're putting that rumor out there because Brooklyn wants to trade for Anthony Davis and they want to pair Davis and Kyrie in Brooklyn. So they need to make it seem like to Anthony Davis, Kyrie really wants to play here. If you really want to play here, you should make it, make it known. But the return in that deal, I don't know. I mean, what's no. the return there? You get D'Angelo Russell in a sign and trade. You- I, I don't even think he's included in that though, because the sign and trade rules are so difficult. It would have to be a separate deal just for him. So you need two different trades to make it work, which then you're going to kind of get the NBA a little concerned about things like there's issues with it. I also just don't think that without knowing for sure that Kyrie's going there, they would risk trading away D'Angelo Russell like at all. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, weird thing. I just think that the Nets, somebody in the Nets organization, they're trying to put it out there to see if they can swing some sort of deal for Anthony Davis. Cause if Kyrie goes to the Brooklyn Nets and just replaces D'Angelo Russell? Okay. The Nets will be good. The Nets will be, yeah. the Nets will be good. They're, they'll be the Celtics. They'll basically be the Celtics' fourth seed, third seed, maybe. Like, I, I don't know that they would be 
anything better than what the Celtics were this past season. And I don't know that that's enough. So they're, I think they're clearly uh, angling for an Anthony Davis deal. Anyway. the other thing with that I will throw out there that I think there's like some connection to is that Trajan Langdon didn't come over to New Orleans, their sure. former assistant GM, to be the general manager here under David Griffin. So I think people are kind of trying to like connect dots that really aren't there. Like a deal around Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Levert, and Jared Allen is like not good enough in my opinion for Anthony Davis. Like I like some of those guys. Karis Levert is a very hipster loving like type of guy that you want to love. He also averaged 13.7 points per game after the injury and everything. Jared Allen's a guy who will give you a solid, like, what, 12 and 9 a game, which is a good player to have. But, like, if those are the centerpieces for AD, like, no, I'm out. Sorry. Yeah, I I hear you. I I feel you there. So that's the Anthony Davis stuff. There there are deals that are going to be thrown out there, rumors flying. It's going to be nuts over the next few weeks. We'll hopefully start to hear uh, at least some resolutions around draft night. If the Celtics are going to be involved, it's going to have to be around draft night. I, I completely contend that. And if it's not, then it's, it probably won't be the Celtics. So we'll keep an eye on that. We're going to come back. The Lakers are making moves with their coaching staff. We can't do a show, the two of us, without talking about the Lakers somehow. So we're going to do that when we come back on the Lockdown NBA podcast. Lakers on Tuesday announced the hiring of Lionel Hollins, former head coach, now an assistant to Frank Vogel, and alongside Jason Kidd, who reportedly Kidd is now the NBA's highest paid assistant coach, uh, according to Shams. So <laughs> let's <laughs> where do we begin? <laughs> let's let's start with the the Lionel Hollins thing just to get the serious thing out of the way. It, to me, on the surface, is a it, – it looks like a good hire because he's he's got the experience. I feel like there's some overcompensation going on here. And I feel like the Lakers are rolling out, like, a bench of four or five assistant uh, – four or five head coaches. Like, I'm not 100% sure that those guys are going to look to Frank Vogel as the head coach, if Kidd and Hollins are all there, I I don't know that Vogel's going to have the pull to assemble those guys under him and direct them all. I I just think there's this is too many chefs. I think this is big names being hired, but this could break down very quickly in L.A. <laughs> So, like, I, I, I first saw this, and I'm like, okay, I can kind of dig this. Like, get some strong personalities in there. That's kind of like a big thing, supposedly, with LeBron James. You need people who will stand up to him and kind of, like, not take his crap, which is why Ty Lu was such kind of an intriguing candidate. And then you, you kind of look at this, and it's like, is everyone just kind of – are they just hiring guys that got, like, run out of every place they've been? Like, you have Lionel Hollins, who's the most successful coach in Memphis history, led them to their best years, and they had – 
like wanted no part of him after he won like coach of the year, I think. That kind of tells you something. Like Kid is kind of like a disgraced former head coach, wouldn't you say? Like this is what they're doing. And then Vogel is I'm looking at his head coaching record right now. He's a solid, solid like fifteen games over five hundred for his career. Like that's not what you want. Like I uh, is it overcompensating? Like that's got to be what it is, or is it just you want to put strong personalities in there and see if that works? But doesn't that always backfire? I, I think it generally does. I think <laughs> that these guys, Rob Palenka, looked at the coaching staff for the Lakers last year, didn't like it, and is now going uh, 180 degrees the other way. He's loading up the bench. Is the, I don't think that this is a Frank Vogel hire. This is uh, that was my hire. question. Like, is this what he wants? Like, no. he can't want these dudes who are like, oh, I should have this job instead of you. No. Maybe Hollins doesn't think that given how his tenure in Brooklyn ended, but like, he can't want this, right? No, I don't think, I don't think he, like, he's doing it because he's gonna make the money and, and who knows what promises were made. I, I, I don't know, but I don't think that Vogel is out there getting former head coaches um, he, I, I think the Lakers are building the staff. It's, I, I, and I think that Palenka is forcing this on Vogel. Vogel's gonna go for the ride. Vogel's gonna do what he needs to do. He's probably gonna try to ride LeBron James to a pumped up coaching record and then part ways in a couple of years. So then whatever happens, happens. I, I don't like where this is going. And then to give Jason Kidd the highest paid assistant coach like that, that they so obviously wanted to make Jason Kidd their head coach but didn't have the sack to do that and they're going to try to backdoor him in as their head coach because i think they're going down this path of well Vogel didn't quite work out or he you know just we were going to mutually part ways like i said we're going to elevate Jason Kidd because he's the guy. We have him and we're paying him this much money. Like that just doesn't, it doesn't fly. Like just, if you're going to do this, just make Kidd your head coach and deal with it. Don't back into it. That, that's a really good way of describing it, I think, actually. And just, even if that's not the case, that's what the optics are going to look like. And sometimes the perception is more important than the actual reality of a situation. I, I don't get it. It's, it's like you said in the beginning, it's just too many cooks. And that's really what this is. And maybe it is. They're just trying to get, I, I think it's like, okay, let's get guys who will really stick by their guns on all of this given kind of the season we had. And I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just look at this and it's like, they need to just do the opposite of what they think they should be doing. Like they're hitting like that territory. It's like what I think about the Suns, and you don't want to be in the same conversation <laughs> as the Phoenix Suns, where they're like, "We're going to do this," and it's like, "No, don't." Like they should just do the opposite of that. That's how they decide what to do in the future. And, and like it's what the Lakers should do. Like this is a mess. Lionel Hollins is not the answer. Maybe it ends up working out for him a little bit, but like the the risk and reward here is so skewed in the risk being so much higher than the reward. I don't get it. Yeah. And I like Hollins. I like, I think that he can be a good assistant. Like I, I don't think that that's what this is. Uh, I, I personally, I would love to see Hollins, uh, be like an associate head coach for a young guy, uh, that's just figuring out 
what his, uh, how he's, how he's going to be in the NBA. Um, like, uh, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they just hired, uh, what's his name? Uh, from Michigan. John B. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I like that. That's a great move, I think, actually. I think think getting a guy like Beeline, who is a strong head coach, but needs some guidance, you get him, somebody like Lionel Hollins, who can be a good assistant. Obviously, he still wants to be a head coach, but being, making him an associate head coach, show the guy the ropes, uh, be there for him as a guy that you can lean on. I think that's a great scenario. I just think the Lakers scenario is such a mess. Adding too many guys that are either trying to be a head coach or is a head coach or wants to be a head coach. I, like that's, I, I don't like that scenario. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just gives us an excuse to laugh. Like you've heard me like snickering in the background here probably because like I keep talking about this and it's just funny to me and I can't explain exactly why we are really probably upsetting Lakers fans here on the podcast today. Yeah. But like, it, yeah, whatever. It's They've been in my mentions for, like, months now over the stuff at the trade deadline. By the way, putting this out there, they have full, like, autonomy to trade Anthony Davis to the Lakers. They just didn't like the offer at the time. But besides, besides the point, like, I don't know. They're, they're just a mess, and this is going to kind of take, like, years to kind of untangle for them, I think. We're going to see how it goes. That is the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, and I want to thank especially our sponsors for today, brought to you today in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. And Grip 6 Belts, today's show brought to you in part by them. They have ultra-light uh, belts with no holes, no flap. Great Father's Day gifts, so go to Grip6.com. That's the number six. Grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E, for a special offer there. All of you new listeners, if you're coming over from the Pelicans or the Celtics podcast, thank you. Use your Himalaya podcast app to download and subscribe to this show as well. Himalaya is super easy to use. It's free, has every podcast out there, and you can make your own shareable playlists you can build podcast playlists by the episode, customize it just like a playlist for songs, and share it through social, text, and email. You can also rate the show, like it, give us a thumbs up, and comment on individual episodes. You can do that anywhere podcasts exist, and share the podcast with all your friends. Tell everybody to listen to the Locked On NBA podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.